Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. It's going to be great. So I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to be reading out of the Living Bible. And much like my pastor a couple weeks ago, we're just going to read the whole thing. Okay? We're going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to do what I like to call preaching it like I see it. Is it okay if we just go? You stay with me. We're going to go verse by verse, and I'm about to preach it like I see it. And I believe that God is going to speak to us in a mighty way today. But before we dive into Exodus 14, I want to set the scene for you just a little bit. This is one of my favorite stories, perhaps the most dramatic dramatic account in the Old Testament, the most dramatic, miraculous move of God in the Old Testament. We are leading up, leading up to the parting of the Red Sea, okay? So you can kind of see the scene in your mind. Israel has just left Egypt. The exodus has just occurred. They have left the, the taskmasters of Egypt, the slave drivers of Egypt. They've left the bondage and the captivity of Egypt, the darkness of Egypt. God has brought them out of darkness and they are moving toward their promised land. They left everything they knew, the chains they were in, the slavery that they were in. God set them free and now they are walking forward and the Red Sea is in front of them. And then suddenly they look back and Pharaoh and his armies are beginning to chase them down. It's a pretty intense position. And today I'm preaching to people who have been set free. Who here can say you've been set free, that God has brought you out of something? Okay, if you, if you don't know that, today you're going to know that. But I think a lot of people in the room can testify. But I'm preaching, and I hope that there's people in the room like this, to people who've been set free but feel like they're constantly on the run from those things that God set you free from. That every time you look back, you feel like there's dust on the horizon. That Pharaoh and his chariots and his armies, that Egypt went mobile and it's chasing you down. And at every turn you feel like you are right on right being chased down by guilt and by shame that when you come into a service like this you want to go all the way and lift your hands and worship but that old taskmaster that slave driver is reminding you of how you failed and what you did and how you're not good enough I'm preaching to people who've been set free but feel like they still have to run from what's back there I'm preaching to people who feel haunted by their past who feel like they can't ever be used like this person or that person because of how they have already failed. I'm preaching to people who feel like they are on the brink of messing it all up all over again. For people who lay in bed at night anxious about what they've done and if it's gonna be found out. I'm preaching to people who have been set free by Jesus. They're out of Egypt, but inside their soul, they still feel the guilt and shame of their sinful life. Are there any people in the room who can say, this is for me today? This is for me today. All right, let's go. See, when I'm in an environment like this, you don't want to sit next to me in a pew. I've, I've been known to say this. I look at the whole pew and I say, sorry, guys, this one's for me today. Y'all, you might as well just leave because this is my sermon. This is your day today. God told me today is a breakthrough day. And I think too many people are like Israel. I'm out of Egypt, but I'm so scared that Egypt is coming back for me. And so today, the title of this message is when your past chases you. When your past chases you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we need nothing else but you. And so as we sang today, fill us up to overflow, Lord God. Move in this place in a mighty way. Thank you for what you're going to do, that you said today is a breakthrough day. And I believe that every person in the room, including those who are watching online, are going to experience breakthrough. Today will be the death of guilt and shame. 
For some who have spent decades afraid and bound up in fear and condemnation, today is the day that your word is going to bring liberty. If you believe it, say amen with me today. All right, so Israel, oh man, I'm, I'm just so excited. You're ready, you're ready, you're ready. Let's do this. So Israel has just left Egypt. They're gone. They said, peace, Pharaoh, we're out. And the whole nation marches out of Egypt. Can you imagine how dramatic this scene is? The most powerful king in the world enslaves this nation. And, and Moses comes out of the desert and is like, hey, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh says, no. No, 10 times these different plagues strike Egypt. There's frogs hopping out of everywhere and locusts and cows are dropping dead. Like it's just the most dramatic scene. And finally, the, the Pharaoh says, yes, fine, you can leave. And an entire nation of slaves, malnourished and beaten and abused with nothing to their name, gathers what they can find around them and starts marching out of Egypt. How many people are grateful for the fact that one day you were set free from what your life used to be and you didn't have a lot of glamour or glitz, but you stood up and God helped you walk out of where you used to be. Man, some people don't quite remember what it felt like then, if that's the clap we got. You, you must not remember what Egypt felt like for you, because if you've been set free, if you've been set free, then you should have something to be thankful for. Don't get me started. I saw that Harriet movie this week, and I was shouting in the theater talking about people being set free because I saw myself there. I knew what it was like to be bound up and caught up in the slavery of sin. But freedom is the gift that God has given us. He made a way for us. But here's what happens. Israel has been gone from Egypt three days. And pick up with me here in verse 5. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelis were not planning to return to Egypt after three days, but to keep on going, Pharaoh and his staff became bold again. What is this that we've done? Letting all the slaves get away. Does anyone think that's a weird verse? When Pharaoh and his team realized, oh, they're not coming back. What does this show to me? It shows that they expected them to come back. The enemy is banking on a rehearsed regression in your life. He's happy to let you go. He's happy to let you have this dramatic church service where you cry your tears and you're like, never again. Today's the day. He's like, all right, fine, go for it. And he's just counting down. He's like, give it three days. Give it three days because the enemy is counting on the routine of your bad habits. He's counting on your willpower failing. And so that's why there's very little resistance. Pharaoh says, fine, go for it. Go out there in that wilderness because sooner or later you are going to come back to me because I own you. I own you. I, I am in charge of you. The enemy is happy to let you try to wander in the wilderness. But something happens when the enemy realizes, oh, they ain't coming back. Oh, they actually meant it this time. Does anyone identify with what I'm talking about, that rehearsed regression where it's like, all right, never again. And then 24 hours later, you're like, well, maybe next time. You know, like, I will never get into another relationship like that one again. And you're like, hey, you remind me so much of my last relationship. You're cute. <laughs> but isn't it so true of us? Who needs a Pharaoh when we put ourselves in bondage so often? Pharaoh's not going to exert any energy to try to get you back when you're going to come back yourself. The enemy doesn't have to launch an attack when you willingly return back to the bondage and the captivity that you put yourself into originally. But something happens when he realizes, oh, they mean it. 
Oh, this time they're actually not coming back. See, Pharaoh knows that you're coming back because he knows Egypt is in you. It's not, the problem is not that, that Israel was in Egypt. The problem was that Egypt was in Israel. The problem is not that you were in sin. The problem is sin was in you. And so you can get picked up and out of the bar, picked up and out of the bad relationship, picked up and out of the negative environment, and placed in a completely new place. But what's the problem? The environment wasn't the issue. It was the condition of your soul. And whatever's going on in here will dictate your life. And you can take the people out of Egypt, but the Egypt in the people will always bring them back to bondage. And so when you, this is deep stuff, we're not even getting, this is not even the sermon, this is the appetizer, which I really do like chips and salsa, so enjoy. <laughs> the problem is not us just suddenly changing our environment. The problem is not us trying to just, I'm going to leave my past. Today, I'm leaving my past. Today, it's over. The past is in the past. You're not Elsa, first of all, okay? It doesn't work that way. When you leave your past, it's a three-day vacation, and you're going right back. But when God sets you free from your past, it's an exodus. It is a final departure, never to go back again. True freedom, true exodus, true salvation, true deliverance is the kind of exit that makes the enemy get up off his throne and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. They belong to me. I own them, and they are not coming back. They're not coming back. A true exodus will cause the forces of Egypt, the forces of the, of the enemy, to start to move toward your life. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I don't like that word. Can the devil just stay back there? Can my past just stay back there? Can, can everything that I used to know just stay hidden in the closet? If it's staying hidden in there, it's actually a bad sign because it knows you're coming back in. But when things start to move towards you, it's because there has been a clear departure, and it's not going to let you go easy. This is a battle we're in, friends. I'm preaching today because we like to play church and think like, I'm done, it's over, it's closed, the door's shut. But how many of you know, you know that the, the past, the enemy is going to do everything he can to reclaim the ground in your life? Because this is a battle. And true exodus will always cause the enemy to move toward what's happening in your life. And if you've been trapped in something today, an addiction, a fear, a sin, don't just have another day where you cry in church and you, you have an emotional moment. Let today be the day that the enemy looks back at and says, oh, that's the day they meant business. Let today be the day that God does a work in you, not you do a work in you, that God does a work in you. Let today be the day that you leave Egypt once and for all. Verse 6, so Pharaoh led the chase in his chariot, followed by the pick of Egypt's chariot corps, 600 chariots in all, and other chariots driven by Egyptian officers. He pursued the people of Israel, for they had taken much of the wealth of Egypt with them. Woo! I'm talking slaves walking with gold in their hand. I'm talking poor people walking with rubies and diamonds and emeralds. See, when you leave your past, you are indebted to it. You have to go back and pay your bills. But when God sets you free, he loads your arms down with the wealth of redemption for the time that was spent, the, lot, the years that were lost. Oh, friends, when God sets you free of your past, he redeems it. 
He redeems it, and you walk away with a wealth of gold and rubies and emeralds, testimonies, lessons learned, faith, and the ability to say to someone else, hey, I've been there, but God brought me through it. How many people can testify that God got you out of a situation, and you're better because of it? You're better because of it. You used to be in an Egypt of pain and regret, but you left with a wealth of trust and faith that can only be refined in the fire. People who go through difficulty, they can walk out with gold that other people don't understand. True, we all want the the, the wealth of easy times. That is gold-plated stuff. But I'm talking about through the fire, we get refined. And the wealth of our testimony grows and grows. And it's the people who've been, some, been through something that have a wealth to carry with them. What used to be your slave master now becomes your financer. Missing it. You're missing it. Egypt used to take from Israel. Egypt used to abuse Israel, but when God delivered the people, Egypt was forced to bless them, to give to them, to finance them, to to pour into their life. Your past is redeemed, and it becomes, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but do you know the gold that they left with? They didn't just like look at it. They didn't put it in the bank. That's the gold that was eventually melted down and used to construct the tabernacle, the temple, that what used to be your slave driver's wealth becomes the raw materials of the construction of the dwelling place of God in your life. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Come on, someone thank God today. That what you've been through, what you've been through, and I believe in my heart today there's people in the room who can barely express what they've been through. What you've been through, if you will allow God to use it, he'll melt it down and it'll become the raw materials that construct the dwelling place of his presence in your life. And that people will see it from afar and they'll say, God took beauty out of ashes in that situation. It becomes the dwelling place of God. And so you walk out of Egypt with wealth. You're going to talk a lot today. Say, I learned from it. Look at someone next to you and say, I grew from it. Say it like you believe it. Say, I'm better for it. Some of us get so ashamed of our past, and we, act like, we like to act like it's not even there, like we just appeared today. Like, I just walked in here today. I don't know what happened. I'm just starting day one. No, man, look back there and say, I grew from that. I'm better for that. I'm carrying something because of God's faithfulness. Verse 9, Pharaoh's entire cavalry, horses, chariots, charioteers were used in this chase. And the Egyptian army overtook the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Piahiroth, across from Baal Zephon. As the Egyptian army approached, the people of Israel see them in the distance, speeding after them. And they were terribly frightened and cried out to the Lord to help them. And they turned against Moses, whining. Have you brought us out here to die in the desert because there were not enough graves for us in Egypt? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Make us? But, but. (laughs) You feel what I'm feeling? That's like chancla level. Like, why did I make you leave Egypt? Because y'all groaned and cried for 40 years, the Bible says begged and wept and snotted and spit that God would do a work in you, and now that he's done it, you're suddenly whining and afraid because the sight of guilt and shame and sin chasing you down makes you say, I wish I wouldn't have been free at all. God, why did you make me get out of that? God, why did you make me take on this new level of life? It was easier back there. Huh, what a mixed up perspective. 
I would rather be enslaved than chased. Forget that, man. You, you try to catch me. I would rather be free and running than stuck in that slavery of sin and death. But they're whining and crying. Why did you make us leave? Isn't, this, isn't that what we told you while we were slaves, to leave us alone? First of all, no, it's not. We said that it would be better to be slaves than dead in the wilderness. See, this is the real trick of guilt and shame. When your past chases you, you immediately go back to the mindset of Egypt, even though you don't even live there anymore. Friends, you have a new address. I can't contact you in Egypt where you used to be because God has brought you out. But the minute you see guilt and shame, those feelings of regret, that tightness in your chest, you suddenly go back to a slavery mindset. You suddenly go back to thinking that you are subject to the rules and regulations of the, the, the king of Egypt, the principle of sin. You think that you are subject to that still. And guilt and shame and condemnation, I know because they have gripped my life, have a way of causing us to behave like a slave even though we've been set free. Guilt can take a, a, a healthy, strong man and cause him to never do anything again. Shame can take a woman who's meant to change the world and cause her to hide in the shadows for the rest of her life. And nothing new has even happened. It's feelings about the same old thing that God already delivered you from. Why are they scared of Egypt? God already conquered Egypt. He defeated Egypt. If they knew what was ahead of them, they would rather be scared of what's up there because they got Jericho and giants and all sorts of things up there. But they're scared of the thing God already defeated in their life. That's how guilt and shame work. We become a victim of what God already brought victory to in our situation. Egypt is over. You've left Egypt. Look at someone next to you and say, you're gone. You're gone. It's, you, you, you are out. You are free. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. We don't live there anymore. So let's not allow ourselves to be subject to the guilt and condemnation that brings us right back there. Why are we so scared of what's in the distance when the God of heaven is right here close to us? Do you remember what, Egypt, what Israel had? They had a pillar that was cloud in the day and fire at night. They, and it's, it's present in this story. They have the manifest presence of God, and they're more scared of what they can see on the horizon than heaven here close to them. We have Jesus himself. He is our pillar. He is our fire. He is the cloud. He's here close to us. And yet the minute guilt and shame start to appear on the horizon, we fear. We get afraid. People in the room today are so dominated by guilt and shame that even the sight of it reduces you to a mess. You see one old Facebook picture that you untagged yourself in 100 times. You have one negative thought. You see one person in a store. You catch one whiff of a perfume. You hear one old song, and suddenly you are triggered. You are triggered. Because you, are, you spent so many years subject to the abuse and slavery of sin that you have a mindset of slavery. The minute I get one trigger, I suddenly start behaving like a slave again. Like, oh, no, I'm going to fall again. I'm not good enough. I'm that same person. I'm, I'm just gonna, it's going to be the same thing again. It's going to happen again. And we suddenly get so riddled in fear. Friend, you are free. You are miles away from Egypt. Just because Pharaoh is chasing you down doesn't mean you have to willingly walk back there. 
You've been set free, but guilt and shame have a way of causing us to doubt if we even have worth. Some people have traveled so far away from a situation, and yet they're still whining about it. Why are they still even talking about Egypt? If you're going to complain, Israel, complain about the Red Sea in front of you. At least complain about the new problem. But you're still whining about what God already closed the door on. And some people here have had a situation, a conflict, something happened. It might be a week ago. It might be a month ago. It might be a decade ago. And you are still moping and whining about what has already happened and is done and is over. But you are carrying it still in your heart. We don't need a whiny church. We don't need a church that's moping. Yes, that thing happened. But you do yourself no good if you replay it every single day. If you look at the failure, if you look at the struggle. Egypt just kept thinking about the whips and the abuse and the torture. Why don't they replay the exodus? Why don't they replay when they walked out? Why don't they replay when Pharaoh said, fine, go? Why don't they replay the gold and the wealth when your past chases you down, reminds you that God brought you out of it. Remind yourself that God sets you free. Let guilt and shame trigger your rejoicing. Say, no, that's not me no more. Verse 13, but Moses told the people, hey, don't be afraid. Just stand where you are and watch, and you'll see the wonderful way the Lord will rescue you today. The Egyptians you're looking at, you'll never see them again. Friends, that's a prophetic word for you today. The guilt that you have been looking at in the face, the shame the fear, the condemnation, I declare to you today with the same kind of faith that Moses had. Watch and see what God will do today, this Sunday, because you will never see it again. When God closes the door, he closes it for good, and today is the day. The Lord will fight for you. You won't even need to lift a finger. And then the Lord said to Moses, I love this verse, quit praying. That was almost the title of my sermon. But I was like, that would look weird on the podcast. <laughs> Quit praying and get the people moving. Forward march. There is a time to stop praying and start moving. How long are you going to pray about the same thing that God already set you free from? He already did it. He already set you free. So quit praying. Start moving. Let's go somewhere. Quit praying. It's time for you to stop praying about your guilt and your shame and your condemnation. Because here's what's actually happening. You are using prayer as a cover-up for paralysis in your walk with God. You're like, I'm just going to stay here and pray till I feel better. You ain't going to feel better till you cross through something, till you get up and go, till you move forward. And too many of us are unwilling to cross into our promised land because we don't feel good enough, but you're never going to feel good enough until you create some distance between you and Egypt. Because if, if you're within earshot of good old Pharaoh, you are always going to feel like a slave because he'll always address you as a slave. He'll always refer to you as a slave. You've got to get so far that you can't hear it, you can't see it, you don't even remember what the address is. So quit praying and get moving. You know what I do? When I don't feel worthy, I lift my hands. You know what I, feel, what I do when I don't feel clean enough? 
to, to stand in the presence of God. I marched my boots right down here to the front of this building, and I stand here, and I cry. And even though I don't feel it, I do it. You know what I do when I don't feel worthy to talk to the God of heaven? I speak to him. Because it's what you do when you don't feel it that makes you who you are. It's what you do when you don't feel it that makes you who you are. It's the people who are hitting their alarm at 5 a.m. and going for that run even though they don't want to. That's the people who are champions. Because if it's always when you want to, then your life is going to be dictated by your feelings. Imagine what it would look like. Imagine what it would look like if we trusted God and worshiped in spite of our feelings. Because I'll be the first to admit there's times where it's like, I don't want to sing this song. I don't feel like I deserve it, right? And I think we've all been there. What happened if we all came in here every single time we gather together and we worship not because we are good but because he is good, where we understand it's not about what we feel, it's about who he is. I believe something would transform in us. Quit praying and start moving. When we cross over, something is going to change in us. Don't wait for the day that you feel it. Make it today. Don't wait for the day that you feel clean. Because if you're waiting for the day that you feel clean, you show me that you don't believe you are clean. And if Jesus said you're clean, you need to believe his word whether you feel it or not. If he set you free, you have to say yes and amen. That's who I am. Feel it or not, I'm free indeed. Do you take him at his word? Verse 16, Moses, or God says to Moses, use your rod. Hold it over the water, and the sea will open up a path before you, and the people of Israel shall walk through on dry ground. Moses did not have a secret weapon. Huh? He didn't have something new. He had the same old rod he's had for four decades now. He found it in the desert by the burning bush, this dusty old thing that he had in his hand when God called him, this dusty old thing that he had in his hand when his haters said he couldn't do it, it turned into a snake when he threw it onto the ground, the same thing he held in his hand and he stuck it in the river Nile and it turned to blood, the same rod that he held through every victory and every defeat. This rod represents the testimony of God's faithfulness in his life. You don't need something new to get through what is in front of you today. You need the the testimony of God's faithfulness in your life. You don't need a secret weapon. Use your rod. Use your story. Use what God has done already in your life to be the, the catalyst to your faith. Lift it up to God and watch what he does. Watch what he does. Use what you've got. Extend your faith. And when your past is chasing you down, you've got to use what you've got because it's a reminder that your past doesn't own you. When you start to feel like the enemy is overtaking you, with guilt and shame, start holding up everything you know. You, you know, when the enemy says you're not good enough, say, you know what? This is the day I was saved. This is the day that Jesus changed my life. I remembered it was October 11th. It was at Blink the Vanishing. Whatever it is, you hold up the day that you were baptized. And I got a picture because I looked a hot mess coming out of that pool. But that's the day that my life transformed. This is the day I first heard the voice of God. This is the sermon that changed my life. This is the first day I prayed. Find whatever is around you and pick it up and hold it up as a reminder to your soul that that old Pharaoh doesn't own you anymore. Pick up what you've got. And then look at verse 17. God says, I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they'll go after you. And you'll see the honor I'll get in defeating Pharaoh and his army. And all of Egypt shall know that I'm God. Wait a minute. So life can get harder after Egypt? Wait a minute. Things will get worse after Jesus sets me free? Wait a minute. It's not all easy when I leave Egypt? 
Friends, this is a word for the church because sometimes we think the biggest battle we will go through is just getting saved. But sometimes the battle begins there. The enemy doesn't need to fight you when he owns you. The battle begins when you start this exodus. Sometimes it's going to feel like you've got a target on your back, but let me clarify, you don't have a target on your back. You have a spotlight on your life, and that God is going to use your situation, and everything the enemy tries to do, he's going to take what the enemy intended for evil, and he's going to use it for good, not just your good, but his good, that he might be glorified in the lives of those who are watching you, in the lives of your family, in the eyes of your coworker who's at the cubicle next to you, and it's like, man, they're going through it, but they come in every day. Day rejoicing what is going on in their situation your life has a spotlight on it and you're like oh it's hard congrats baby you're a testimony congrats this is what it feels like this is what it feels like to be a testimony verse 19 then the angel of God who was leading the people of Israel moved the cloud around behind them, and it stood between the people of Israel and the Egyptians. And that night it changed to a pillar of fire, and it gave darkness to the Egyptians, but light to the people of Israel. So the Egyptians couldn't even find them. This is a concept that we need to understand as a church. When God sets a person free and begins to lead them and guide them, he begins to make things more clear to them. He lights their path. The things of the Spirit become more clear. Your destiny becomes more clear. But the same God that is giving light to his people will give darkness to those who oppose him, to those who reject him. What's clear as day to you will be dark as night to those who are opposing you and rejecting the faithfulness of God in their situation. You're like, wait a minute, this is obscure. What does this mean? It means that too many of us have doubted what God is doing in us because others can't see it. It's, it's clear as day to you. You're like, I see it. There's joy in me. Something's happening in me. I know it. But then someone, someone who's 10 feet away can't see it. They're like, no, I don't see it. I don't see no joy or strength. You're the same mess you've always been. And we allow the people who only see darkness to cause us to doubt what is clear in the light to us. The same God who can cast light for one camp, cast dark for the other. The people who are outside the purposes and will of God cannot understand what's happening on the inside. So don't let the doubt of those who are on the outside cause you to doubt what's happening on the inside. It doesn't matter if no one sees it. If God is doing something in you, trust his process, trust his hand. It's coming to pass. 21. Whew, we're going to kick it into gear. Meanwhile, Moses stretched his rod over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path. A wind blew, and all the people of Israel walked through on dry ground. The Egyptians followed them between the walls of water, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horse, horsemen. But in the early morning, Jehovah looked down from the cloud upon the array of Egyptians, and he began to harass them. God himself on behalf of his people began to harass them. Their chariot wheels began coming off. Their chariots were scraping on the ground. And they said, let's get out of here. Jehovah's fighting for them and against us. I declare today that the harassment of heaven will come against every feeling of guilt and condemnation, that he's gonna rip the wheels off everything that has tried to rise itself up against you, not for you, but for his glory to be seen. The harassment of heaven that God himself will win the battle. God himself will do the fighting. 26, when all the Israelites were on the other side, God said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters will come back over the Egyptians. Moses did, and the sea returned to normal beneath the light. The Egyptians tried to flee, but the Lord drowned them in the sea. This is hard. 
Because if I'm Moses, I want to open it and then I want God to close it behind me. I don't want to be the one who raises my hand and causes water to crash down on hundreds and hundreds of people. Think about Moses' perspective. He grew up in this land. He grew up amongst these people. He knows their language. He knows their culture. He lived there. Certainly there are young soldiers in that army who are the children of men he trained next to. Certainly there are people there who are just doing what they're told. This is just his old life. He knows they're not all evil, but he, he's standing there as a former Egyptian. And God says, Moses, you stretch your hand out. You raise your hand. And I think that this is a personal crossroads for Moses. Because when Moses first left Egypt by himself, he killed an Egyptian, fled the scene. He was 40 years old. Then God eventually worked in his life. He went to get Israel. And now here at this moment, standing at this crossroads, he's 80 years old. Which means he is, over the course of his life, equal parts an Egyptian and equal parts a son of the living God. He had spent just as much time in his old life as he had in his new life. And if he makes it one more year, he will be more a follower of God than he was an Egyptian. But as it stands on this day, he is just as much Egyptian as he is Hebrew. And God tells him, you have to raise your hand against this thing. You have to close this door. Today, you are making the decision that you're not going to live the rest of this journey as, well, I started out as an Egyptian. No, today you're closing the door and I'm going to drown everything about your past. And for Moses to pick up that staff at this time, it meant that he had to turn his back on everything that he understood himself to be. No longer was he going to say, well, I'm a leader who used to be an Egyptian. No, he's going to say, God drowned my past. He drowned the enemy. He drowned the Pharaoh. And from this day forward, I am more this than I am that. The best days are ahead of me. And when Moses lifted that staff and that water closed in around them, everything changed from that day forward. It's time for you to realize that your most important days are ahead of you. Your most defining days are still ahead of you. Your worst day does not define you as much as what is ahead of you will define you. Your BC days, your before Christ days, do not outshine your after Christ days. What God is going to do from here forward will far exceed what you used to be. And so it's time to stop carrying around Egypt in your heart, thinking you'll always be the sum total of your mistakes. It's time for you to raise your hand and let that water crash down. Because guess what? Moses has always lived like an Egyptian, but he doesn't realize before he ever spent one day in Egypt, he was held in the hands of a Hebrew woman who raised him with the prayers of righteousness and said, this child belongs to God. Before you ever took up residence in the palace of sin, you belong to God. You were his, called by name. And it doesn't matter if you spent 40 years living in the wrong land. From here forward, you will be responding to the name he He's called you by. He's called you by name. And today you're closing a door on where you used to be. And oh how visceral it is. Look at 28. The water covered path and the chariots and the horsemen and all of the army that chased him through the sea. Not one remained alive. The people of Israel had walked through on dry land and the waters had been walled up. But Jehovah saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And the people of Israel saw the Egyptians dead washing up on the shore. You're going to see your guilt and shame floating up on the shore of what God's done in your life. I used to say this, that the biggest struggle in my life was guilt. But today, I see it washing up on shore. 
I don't walk around with that same fear that I thought I was always going to have. And I want to say that today so that you might be encouraged that this thing will not chase you forever. That today can be the day that it washes up on shore. The Bible says not one of them remained. Not one got away. God washed it all away. And I, this, is, this is an essential part of the process. This is so deep and I hope you can stick with me and I hope I can communicate it. God help me. But this has always been a part of the process. In Egypt, they had to put blood on their door so that the angel of death would pass over. So there was first the blood, and now they have to come through the water. The Red Sea is what washes away their accusers. The blood saved them from the penalty of death, but the water washed away the accusation. Then later in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple, the altar where the priests would sacrifice, that bloody altar would be the place that atoned for sins. But before he could go into the presence of God, the next thing was the basin where he would have to wash his hands. There was always blood first and then water for the cleansing. First the saving, then the cleansing. You look at Jesus on the cross, first his blood was shed and then his side was pierced and water poured out from his side, his precious side. First the blood, then the water. First the saving, then the cleansing. In fact, he says to the New Testament church, believe and be baptized. First the saving, then the cleansing. You cannot separate the two. It's, 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 it's about this. It's about the fact that he atoned for us. He saved us with his blood, but that is not the end of the work. He wants to wash us with what? Paul says in Ephesians, Christ presents us to God, blameless and holy, washing us with the water of the word. He wants to use the word to wash you of the guilt and the fear and the condemnation because too many of us are free, but fearful. Free, but bound up in our heart. Your cell has been unlocked, but you cannot walk out of it because you don't feel worth it. You don't feel like you deserve it. You're free, but you're bullied. But today is a breakthrough day. Today, some people in the room are going to see the death of guilt and shame that has been chasing them down. Today, you're going to raise your hands over the battlefield of your life and watch the water of God's word wash away the guilt. And I usually love to preach and give you like three practical pointers to get your weak empowered, but there is really no self-help for this. We need the Word of God. There is no checklist that you can do to feel better about yourself. The Word of God is the only water that can wash us and cleanse us. When your past chases you, drown it in the water of God's Word. When your past chases you, drown it in the water of God's Word. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.